Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the London School of Economics and Political Science for this evening's public lecture. I am Geeta Patel, an alumni of the school and also a governor at the school. The theme for today's lecture is achieving your dreams. As someone that is very passionate about entrepreneurship, it is my pleasure to be here to chair this evening's event and to welcome Gurbashkar Chahal back to LSE. Some of you might remember he spoke here two years ago. His His is a remarkable story, from humble beginnings to living the American dream. He dropped out of school at 16 to pursue his dream as an entrepreneur, started his first company, Click Agents, in 1999, which 18 months later was sold to ValueClick for $40 million. In January 2004, he launches his second company, Blue Lithium, which just three years later was sold to Yahoo for the grand sum of $300 million. From start to exit, selling two companies for a total price tag of $340 million by the age of just 25 is nothing short of just amazing. And now his third online ad company, uh, Radium One, we understand is already bigger than his previous two. Apart from being profiled in publications like the New York Times, Forbes and Business Week, you will see in a moment that he has also um, been on several TV shows. In 2010, Gurbach was awarded the Leaders in Management Award and an honorary doctorate in commercial science from Pace University in recognition of his achievements as an entrepreneur. Gurbach is also the author of an international best-selling book titled The Dream, the tale of his entrepreneurial journey. Copies will be on sale outside the theater, and I'm pleased to confirm that Gurbaksh will be signing copies. For those Twitter, Twitter users in the audience, and I know Gurbaksh is one of them, the hashtag for today's event is LSEG. As usual, after the lecture, there will be the chance for you to put your questions to Gurbaksh. But before he joins us on stage, and uh, either takes a stand, we have a short video clip to show you all. <coughs> We do. <laughs> I guess I'm the video. Cool, this wasn't part of my notes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we aren't going to play the video, but actually it was going to be a clip of my friend on Oprah Winfrey's show. What a miss. So, I guess no video. Uh, I actually probably don't want to see it again because it reminds me that 
I'm no longer in my 20s. Officially 30 and that's a big for a person that uh, started very early on. Uh, I guess before I start, how many students uh, of LSE here? Cool. Well, first of all, thank you LSE for inviting me back. Uh, I guess before I start, I want to start off by just saying that everything I say today is something that you'll never learn in the classroom. So you have two ways to accept it. Uh, don't accept it or realize that a lot of the things I say might appear as common sense or might appear as kind of uh, unique because uh, they, they really come from the heart. And they're really not really defined by something you'll learn from a textbook or something you'll learn from a formula because business, relationships, life are not a formula. It's all about really what comes from the heart. And that's what I was able to do uh, starting at 16. So for the people that raised their hand, I, I just have a disclaimer. Uh, stay in school. So I know that <laughs> most people look at my headlines and they kind of basically say, wow, you know, what the heck am I going to school for? Uh, and I just want to say this, I mean, the prerequisite to that is that um, I think school teaches you something that's very interesting in life. It teaches you how to learn. And many people have different ways of, of learning that. And I clearly had a very unorthodox, not typical, not promoted way of learning how to live life, learning how to go ahead and uh, take risk. But there's things that you're going to learn in school that I didn't have the opportunity to. So remember that and use that to your advantage. And before we begin, what entrepreneurship and life have in common is, it's like a roller coaster. It has its ups and downs, but it's your choice to scream or enjoy the ride. And what that really means is, in business, it is the most crucial, it is the most cutthroat business uh, cycle that you'll ever experience. For every great day, you're going to have 10 miserable or more ones. And what you have to make sure you realize is that sometimes, whether you're spiritual and you believe in God, or you believe in a higher being or so forth, a lot of them are really tests. Tests to really judge how far are you willing to go and how badly do you want it. Because nothing's going to happen in a way where it's, uh, it's going to be great. Because hitting the lottery or expecting to hit the lottery uh, doesn't exist. Luck doesn't exist, plain and simple. Uh, hustle does. And that's what you have to do. So in this here, how many of you guys are actually entrepreneurs? Or aspiring entrepreneurs? Okay. Well, the good thing is this applies to pretty much everything you would want to do. But here's an actual mantra that actually we have outside of Rating One uh, Lobby. And I'm just going to read it to you as part of the theme of the way I, I look at business. And this is something that I, I, I really look uh, very clearly on by saying that we don't hire employees. We hire entrepreneurs. So we believe anything is possible. We see opportunity when others see impossibility. We take risks. We're focused. We hustle. We know that nothing is unrealistic. We feel overwhelming love. We embrace our childlike wonder and curiosity. We take flying leaps to the unknown. We contribute to something bigger than ourselves. We create, we learn, we grow, we do. We believe it's never too late to start living a dream. We are entrepreneurs. So from that, here's really the things that I don't think you're going to learn today. So, you're not going to get the next billion dollar idea from me. Uh, if you're Indian, that's where I get it the most. People just think that there's this magic wand of 10 things that you just need to go ahead and figure out and that great idea is going to make you rich. And it doesn't work that way. Business doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. 
the idea is purely just a thought of a whole lot big process out there. The quickest way to sell a company for lots of money. Uh, I never started any of my businesses with the idea that I was going to be rich or that I was going to make millions out of it. Even though it's an irony because you think of it because it happened so young or so quick that there's actually a magic formula to go ahead and start a company and just flip it. And the flip side of it is that anybody that actually goes into business or anything in life with that mentality, it normally never ends up happening. So there is no quick way to start a company and basically flip it for a lot of money. How to get investors for your big idea. Uh, I don't invest, so just FYI, but I get that a lot. But the, the people that actually look for investors, here's where people just get it wrong. Some of the biggest companies today uh, didn't need money to start because they needed hustle, they needed sacrifice, they needed, they needed sweat equity. And sweat equity is one of the biggest things that entrepreneurship and business teach you. And uh, they didn't need investors. I mean, Google already was printing cash until they raised their only round of $25 million of funding. And today they're a $250 billion company. So if Google didn't need money to go ahead and get its, uh, get going, neither does most businesses. And there's so many examples like that. So if you want to go ahead and get investors, you better get traction, you better have a business because that's the only way you're actually gonna get noticed. To be successful, all you need to do is think of something different. I actually completely disagree with this and most investors would disagree with me with this because investors basically ask you one question, what makes you different? And uh, you know, uh, in, in, in the early stages of the process of your business, it's basically you have to go after something that already exists. Otherwise, if you're creating something with so much unknown, chances are it's not going to be known because you're, you, know, you, you have to start from scratch. So actually looking at a business, looking at an idea that's already out there is one of the biggest ways to be successful. And all of my three companies have one common theme, online advertising. And, and, and that's obviously something that I don't have to prove because there's already known about it. How you will change the world with your business. This is something that I think entrepreneurs get way too much credit for, uh, especially because great businesses come out of them. So a lot of them say, oh, my desire to start a business is I want to change the world. It doesn't work that way. Google changed the world. Facebook changed the world. Twitter changed the world. But they did not change the world when they started at day one. It became the afterthought, the after impact of having a great, successful business. So. Just keep that in mind. You know, philanthropy is something that you can do after success. It's not something that you could start off by thinking it's gonna happen from day one. How to write a business plan. For you business people, out, business majors out there, I actually think this is the worst, worst, worst thing you can do with your time. Mainly because, uh, and any professors and hate me for saying this, but it's, if you absorb yourself so much around a plan, and you don't even know what's gonna happen on day one, and you're already thinking about one year from now, and you don't even know if you're gonna survive 30 days, and you're putting all this like fictitious formula and fictitious plans around what's gonna happen and financial models on what you're gonna do in year five, when you don't even know if you have a product yet. So for me, if you can actually go ahead and start a business without a plan, and actually put your heart and soul into it, you'll figure things out along the way. And that's part of the formula. And how you live a stress-free life as an entrepreneur. That did not happen. So this is the most stressful life you will ever sign up for. So here are the three things I actually hope you do learn today. The definition of ambition, 
discipline, and purpose as it relates to you. If you can figure those three things out, you will be successful in life. Fear is your worst enemy. Risk is your best friend. And you have to, have to realize this very early on in life. And for me, at age 16, I was able to go ahead and figure this out. So my advantage was, I didn't even know what failure was. Because to me, I was 16. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, and, 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 and I think the biggest problem is, is that the older we get, uh, and you just start thinking about things more. And you start worrying about things. You think about life. You think about family. You think what people are going to think. And you absorb yourself so much around that, that you realize, oh my God, I just wasted all this time. And I don't even want to do this now. So that's one thing you want to make sure you adapt early on in life on. And lastly, and if I'm tired right now, this is the reason why, insomnia will become your best friend. So if you like sleep, not happening. So here's, a, here's actually a slide that I showed uh, at my last company, All Hands. What I think defines a successful, if you want to call it an employee, entrepreneur, but this is our pyramid. This is the pyramid of success to me. I know you guys have all seen Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is G's hierarchy of success. So uh, the first part is ambition. What is ambition? And ambition from day one is what you actually want to go ahead and strive for. Ambition is something that actually tells you that I'm going to do this no matter what. And there's nothing going to stop me for it. Because there's a lot of times you actually just dream about it. You don't want to do it. But you've got to make sure this hunger, that fuel that's inside you, is so loud, so clear, that, 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 that it absorbs your mind to the point of obsession. Discipline. This is something that a lot of people claim to have, but they don't want to put any energy or work for. Discipline is waking up uh, four times in the middle of the night because your brain is saying, hey, if you don't do this, you're going to forget. Right? Discipline is basically realizing that you will sacrifice a large part of your life. I sacrificed my youth. Uh, you will sacrifice. And if you're willing to do that, and you understand that early on in life, this will get you the second part. Now, the, the most important part is when you truly know you're making a difference in the world, and you're making a dent, and whatever you're doing is defined by purpose. And that's what actually fuels you to realize that you can tackle all failures, all obstacles, in whatever journey you're on. So part of an entrepreneur is really, what's the genetic makeup of it? So let's take a look. This is the phrenology of an entrepreneur. Realize opportunity, take ownership. As you can tell, you have no patience. <laughs> you have to have work ethic. You have trust issues a little bit, but you have a lot of self-esteem. You have the ability to have that charisma, that selling acumen, you're the ultimate sales guy. But there's that middle part that controls you to realize what's next and what's, what can work and what fails, what you're gonna move on to. And that comes down to creativity, the ability to create your own reality. If any of you guys read Steve Jobs' book, that's the reality distortion field, right there. Being able to go ahead and realize that what is gonna work, what is the reality that defines it, and how am I gonna make it my own? One of my biggest uh, quotes actually comes from science, from when it relates to business. It is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent that survive. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. So uh, this is actually really, really important to realize this. Because in business, things are changing so fast now. There's actually an era, you can say, we're at the point of innovate or die. 
basically. And I'm going to walk you through a few of these examples that, of, of Hallmark companies that we all realized that uh, were amazing at one point, but just forgot to take the finger off the pulse. And they just completely forgot about what was next, what was happening to them, and what their environment was going to be about. So the first one, how many of you guys have actually said, oh my god, that's a Kodak moment, right? When a business becomes a verb, it's an amazing thing, right? Because it's almost like you're substituting that brand for a word that describes an emotion. Now, in 97, they had a $28 billion market cap, 160,000 employees. They filed for bankruptcy, no longer in business, sold away pat patents because at the end of the day, nobody uses pictures anymore. We have Facebook, we have uh, photo apps, we have digital photography now, and that's what changed society since 97. Blockbuster, I'm not sure if you guys have that here or had that here, but that's where you used to drive and try to go ahead and rent a movie. And in 2002, so just less than 10 years ago, they had a market capitalization of $5 billion and 30,000 employees. Now, everybody has YouTube, everybody has Hulu, everybody has an iPad now of some degree, and that's where you consume content now. And this company realized that there's going to be enough people that will still drive, and that's obviously not the case. Uh, how many Blackberries in the audience? You guys are so 2008. <laughs> Seriously, quit while you're ahead. In 2008, BlackBerry had a market cap of $83 billion, June 2008. So just think about that. It's like a little over four years ago. It was valued as the fourth largest company in the S&P 500, right? It's pretty amazing. And you can think, ah, oh, it's four years, right? Four years, it's trading less than its book value. People are predicting its death. And, I, and Apple, which is now the most valuable company in the world, basically launched in 2008, the iPhone. And in four years, turned it around and now is a $700 billion. That just tells you the art of change. A couple more examples. How many of you guys have MySpace accounts? Come on, don't be shy. <laughs> I heard they're making a comeback. So you might want to save on to that username. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you think about it, MySpace was a pretty cool company at one point. And what happened? Got acquired and they forgot. And if you thought being bought for $580 million was a big deal, uh, my previous company, Yahoo, wanted to actually do a merger in 2007 with it that valued it at $12 billion. Thank God that didn't happen. And now, obviously, it's owned by Sexy Back and Pacific Media trying to make a comeback. But that kind of tells you who's ever going to go ahead and have a MySpace account. Can you imagine your parents having MySpace accounts? That'd be a little freaky. But at one point, this is what drives social networking. And what did Facebook do? They came around, went after a market, made it better, and it's not like they invented something new. And the last one, this is probably the biggest corporate disaster in, in merger history. Uh, $222 billion market cap, uh, result of AOL and Time Warner in December 99, with the idea that old media, new media can get along. Uh, didn't happen, so wiped out $220 billion in market capitalization right there. So that kind of tells you change is a big deal. So uh, just, I guess, a quick background on me. I did drop out of high school. Uh, my parents totally love that idea. Uh, and, you know, 
what I went through, and I actually had this uh, challenge with my dad saying, okay, you know what? Seems like you're doing something not so shady. You should try it. You have a year. And uh, let's see if you can make something out of it, which is actually a bold step. I mean, I see Indians here, so you guys know how our, how our parents are. Uh, you're either a doctor or an engineer. And uh, here I was trying to be some quick guy. So that worked out, you know, because I realized at that point, if my dad's going to have confidence in me, I have no understanding of what failure is going to be like. So I learned that very, very, very early on in my life. And then I realized what happened. You know, you, normally if you, if you become a millionaire at 18, you're supposed to go crazy, right? But I guess the art of that is if you have a very crazy family, you can't go crazy. So I, I thank my family for realizing that, you know what, money is not the object that drives success. It's the passion that you have to do better. And that's what I went on and I, and I started my second company, Blue Lithium On. Uh, three and a half years later, I uh, sold it uh, to Yahoo. And you would think after that point, 25-year-old kid, you should be going crazy now. But that's not what defines it. And I think that the, the, the things that I learned in my life was that once you're passionate about something, money just is part of the journey that happens if you're successful. It is not what drives you to be successful. Because when you're already thinking about money, you've already failed. It has to be a reflection of what you accomplish it cannot be a reflection of what you want. So here are a few lessons I have, I've taken out of my book, which actually summarize kind of the, the art of becoming an entrepreneur. And like I said, uh, this can be applied to logic, this can be applied to whatever you're gonna be. And uh, most of these are universal lessons. So as I said, the myth is, how did you come up with that great idea? And can you help me think of a great idea? Right? That's something I get very common theme from people that think that they want to be entrepreneurs or want to become entrepreneurs. The truth of that is 1% of whatever you do is the idea. 1% is basically saying, I want to do this. 99% is actually doing it, right? Is actually realizing what you're going to do, right? And chances are you may not even do that original thought, but the fact that you actually did something progressed you forward. And if you look at some of the biggest companies we have today as recognizable brands, Google did not invent search. There was Yahoo, there was Alta Vista, there was Netscape, there was all these different companies. But they made it into a quarter billion dollar company, or a quarter trillion dollar company. Same thing goes for Facebook. Obviously we had MySpace, Friendster, all that other stuff, and it ended up becoming that. And you would think that as a third time entrepreneur, I would actually know what I'm doing. When I started my, uh, my third company, it's actually in my book, so uh, it was actually supposed to be completely radical, completely going to revolutionize the coupon industry. And I tried it out for like a month. The only downside was I had to do my manuscript so I couldn't change it and things got published. But I literally only tried G-Wallet out for a month on what their original idea was. And I realized it was not going to work. And I pivoted and I changed and it became ready one day. And today it's, uh, you know, my largest success thus far. Which, which the idea basically tells you is you got to launch a product, get it to parity, then you can separate it from the pack once you've actually created something. Another lesson, be open to change. When you are not open to change, you're forcing something to be successful. Keep the blind, take the blinders off, look around, don't be afraid to go in all sorts of different directions since that's where you might just find the most unusual and promising opportunities. Had I stuck uh, in this G-Wallet concept of mine, I would not be here today. I would, not, uh, I would not be in terms of being able to tell you what my success third time around would be about because that, that business 
was not ever going to be at the scale that I wanted to be at. And I quickly realized that. And the other thing I realized is that if you ever have started a business, uh, there's PowerPoints that you make. And there's PowerPoints I have on crazy ideas, on click agents, blue lithium, basically vaporware of things you want to do. And then when you look at when a company progresses forward, you can probably do half of them, or half of them die, or half of them change. But your gut, your intuition told you what was going to work, and you moved forward, and your gut intuition told you what wasn't going to work, and you pulled the plug accordingly. Valuation is built by scarcity. The biggest deals are when companies are bought, not when they are sold. When you're, when you're selling something, it's like a fire sale. It's like buying a distressed asset. When you're buying something is when you're buying it through an emotion. And that emotion is actually telling you that you need it, which actually applies a different value to it. And companies, uh, nine out of 10 times that are bought, they're bought for this specific emotion that's built by scarcity value. And this also translates into the public markets. How many of you guys you know, look at Facebook, the, the stock, when it, when it went? It was supposed to be the first trillion dollar company. Uh, and it actually is down 50% from the time it became public. But there's the value that people are putting on Facebook, there's still a lot of scarcity. Apple is being traded at a normal EBITDA. If Facebook was being traded at the Apple multiple, it'd be a $2 stock today. It's 20 right now. And people think that's down from it being when it launched at 38. But Facebook has connected a billion people. It has scarcity value. It has 50% of these people logging on every day. So it's not driving on profits yet, but people have valued its scarcity for what it can become. And that's what you want to do is build scarcity first. Hire only rock stars. Hire the smartest people you can find. Smart people make beautiful music together. Lots of smart people working in unison have the power and beauty of a Beethoven symphony. That's actually from my book. Uh, what that really means is you want to be able to do quality over quantity. Don't you surround yourself around dead weight. Find that one person that can do the power of 10. And find those rock stars. And don't be afraid to go ahead and realize when you can't, you know, the person isn't a rock star. Uh, in my last three companies, we've hired someone the first day and we fired them the same day. You probably might think that's bad, but it's, it's reality. Because you know what? A business is not a charity, right? A business is for profit. If somebody is not going to work out, you got to make those decisions early on and you got to surround yourself because there's another thing that Steve Jobs' book said is that you want to surround yourself around eight people because eight people work together and make eight products and make a great company. And that's what you got to strive for. And you got to be frugal. I mean, there's companies, there's people that make hundreds of thousands of dollars, salespeople that make a half a million dollars a year at any of my companies. And originally when I was 16, I would always think, oh my God, this person's making this much money, I don't wanna pay them that much. And when you start thinking that way, you realize is that you're not thinking logically. If somebody's really gonna get paid a half a million dollars, they better be a tremendous asset to your company, meaning they're actually worth millions. You're just paying them a half a million. And I had to kind of adapt to that early on and realize that uh, you gotta pay people for what they're worth. Never keep yourself vulnerable. Never make someone have control over something that loses control. Because consider you got to almost consider everyone replaceable. This happened to me at 16. Uh, six months into it, was doing great. I had uh, uh, you know hired this programmer, 
uh, that built the technology. I know I'm Indian, but I'm not a programmer, so I needed someone to go ahead and develop this thing for me. And while I was on the phone closing deals and trying to go ahead and make stuff work, and in six months, we grew this business to $300,000 a month. It was crazy. Uh, and I still remember it today. But this person that I had hired to do my uh, initial software work basically told me that either you give me a third of your company uh, or I shut you down. So here I am, 16, trying to play poker and realize that he actually shut me down. And for one week, an entire week, I had no internet access, no website, no ad serving technology. Uh, customers were freaking out. And it was almost like I was dead in the sky. And there was even blogs at that point talking about the death of click agents. And at that point, I realized that I could never, ever give someone that much control. And in one week, we turned things around. We found a set of people that can get us out of that mess. We found and hired rock stars to develop technology, weren't afraid to pay them a bunch of money in order to accept the roles. And from that instant, a year from then, I sold the company for 49. So again, you can go ahead, and there's two lessons there. You gotta surround yourself around people that actually wanna work with you uh, and have the right intentions. But more importantly, uh, never keep yourself vulnerable, right? Because at the end of the point, uh, you could lose everything. And had I not made those right decisions in that one week, I would not be here today. I would be back in high school trying to go ahead and tell my dad it didn't work out because of this incident. And it's also, you know, this is another interesting point because I talked about this early on. Uh, sometimes, I mean, whether you are spiritual or believe in God or so forth, but these are the points that define your, your personality. They define some of the biggest successes you will have because if you can overcome them, it's someone saying, okay, this person wants it bad enough. And if this person wants it bad enough, you know, let's, let's guide them forward. Asking for help. Don't expect help from others until you realize you can actually bring something to the table. Very basic example, you might think that, uh, oh, everybody should know this, but I didn't. I mean, I was 16, first thing I looked at was saying, who's Indian and who wants to help me? Just because I realized, hey, I'm Indian, you're Indian, let's, let's help each other out. And it doesn't work that way because uh, you have to actually bring something to the equation where you're not asking for something, you're actually trying to go ahead and make them realize they're contributing something, you're contributing something, and both people actually feel that there's a win-win situation here. Otherwise, hey, can you mentor me? Hey, can you sit on my board? Or hey, can you give me money? None of those things work, but those are sometimes the amateurish things that we say that come out of our mouth because we actually think that they can happen. But that's not reality. Need versus necessity. Understand the difference between need and necessity. So if you look at some of the original dot-com world, uh, the blow-up that we had in 98, 99, 2000, or actually 2000 was an example of that. The subprime uh, mortgage fallout was another example of that. You have to realize that greed isn't good and you have to spend every dollar like your last. People will only be impressed with your performance and nothing else. Exterior stereotypes. What matters most is how you see yourself. See this cat? Cat thinks it's a tiger. That's what you gotta do. And I mean this because when I was 16, I was an introvert. If you would have told me, hey, come out in front of your class and speak a lecture, I'd be running out that door. Wouldn't happen. 
But I realized that through time and iteration, the biggest thing that defines leadership, that defines people that actually want to work for you, that defines uh, success, whether it's selling a product, is confidence. And if you don't have that, that is a act of fear. And you're showing that. And nobody wants to be around fear. So the biggest thing you have to realize is that confidence is sometimes the biggest difference between success and failure. And you gotta make sure you have that. And if you're passionate about something, if you feel it within your heart that you're gonna wanna do this, uh, fear goes away. But if you consume too much time with it, it comes back. Uh, the business world was a big stereotype to me. And the reason why I had to learn this early on is that at 16, I would actually go in front of investors and they would ask me, uh, oh, so what, do you, what did you do before this? And I would hate to answer that because I'd have to say middle school. And that's just not sexy, right? <laughs> but I realized if I had the confidence and I was talking about business, I was talking about how success was going to go ahead and define it and how we we're going to change the world and how it was going to make them a lot of money, they never even asked about middle school. So it worked out in my favor. Relationships. A real successful business is not run by algorithms. It's run by relationships. Relationships are everything in life and in the business world. And you never want to burn a bridge. I've had people that told me that I was going to miserably fail. I actually had one of the biggest VCs in year two of Blue Lithium basically tell me, hey, dude, I really just want to tell you that it's just not going to work. You're working on something that's not going to scale. It's not a big market. I know you're young. I'm saving you time. Just go do something else. So I could have just you know, reacted, I could have cried, I could have cursed at him, I could have done a couple of things, or I could have just said, you know what, thank you very much for that advice, and in my head say, I'm gonna prove this guy wrong. And that's when you realize that when you talk to yourself in here, you can say whatever you want, just don't make it come out of, outside of you because that's when you get into trouble. Hunger, too many people in this world want a handout. Too many. You have to surround yourself around people that actually want to see you succeed and want to succeed with you. If you learn this early on, success will repeat itself, and it will only not repeat itself for you, it'll repeat itself around the people around you. So, the second time around, again, I'm not Indian, so I had to hire some people to do the technology part, and I found this great company in Belarus uh, to create technology, create the ad-serving technology for me, and they ended up uh, basically creating this great technology and said, hey, come on over to Belarus, Minsk of all places, and check us out. I, I went down there and they had scrappy offices like, and the apartments were completely, uh, uh, you know, almost their homes and apartments. It was, it was, it was, it was a, as startup as you can get. But I love that because these guys were really passionate about what they were building. And the guy that was the principal there told me that, hey, you can have anything you want. Uh, we'll build it for you. We'll give you this technology. And I'm like, how much? He said a half a million dollars. So I ended up saying, I'm not going to give you half a million dollars, but I will promise you, I will give you a journey that will be worth a lot more than half a million dollars. So basically, you come and work for Radium One, or Blue Lithium, and we're going to create a great company together, and you're going to get a piece of it. Three and a half years later from that point, that piece ended up becoming $15 million for them. And uh, they realized, obviously, that was a great success, and they earned every single penny of that. Like that was beautiful. That's not like, when you're in business, you're not supposed to screw someone. You're supposed to actually make sure everybody has a share of a pie that makes them want to succeed. These guys not only succeeded here, they went on to create another gaming company, which was their original passion. And now that gaming company is worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. 
right? And that's more power to them because they learned a lot of these lessons early on. Another one of my employees, uh, after we sold Blue Lithium, started uh, a company called Mopplex. Two years later, sold that for $50 million. But again, that's the kind of DNA, that's the kind of art that you learn because you surround yourself around people that not only want to see you succeed, but want to succeed with you. Culture is everything. Your first 20 people that you hire will define whether you have a small business or a very large one. And those 20 people will define if the next people you hire are gonna have the same DNA inside you. And that is the recipe that either uh, makes you a billion dollar company or makes you just an average company. One wrong hire in that first 20 could actually be detrimental because it almost creates a, a, a negative aura around the company and changes the culture, especially when you're only 20 people. Every single person counts. Every single word that happens in the office and outside of the office counts. And you have to create that aura where everybody's in it for the right reasons. And as you can tell, a company called Apple still believes that. I mean, their slogan was think different and they still think different because they're able to hire and hire the right people even when they are a $700 billion company. How many of you guys like rejection? Liar, 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 liar. <laughs> Four liars in a row. Okay, good, because nobody likes rejection. But in the business world, what I realized is that you almost have to embrace rejection. You have to realize that you have to make it your fuel. You have to make it realize that it is gonna give you the difference to motivate and succeed and continue to be successful. Because everything happens for a reason. And you have to realize that sometimes when that first no happens or that person says no, they don't wanna work for you or the client says no, it's okay, it doesn't mean never, it just means no. And that's what you have to define yourself on is that rejection is temporary, right? And when you can accept that and make it your fuel, uh, it changes everything. At Click Agents, I had a company that was making money and in that day and era, making money as an internet company was unheard of. Nobody wanted to fund me. At Blue Lithium, three investors pulled back uh, until the right one came in uh, to actually go ahead and invest, uh, invest in it. Radio 1, a little different, I think they realized, okay, this guy can't be wrong the third time, so a little bit easier. But the idea of it is, is that rejection, you have to realize it, especially in the first stage of your life, that is very temporary. Other examples, J.K. Rowling, well, probably the most influential, most uh, very successful, wealthy author, got rejected six times at six different studio houses until they accepted the first book, Harry Potter. And uh, as you can tell, she's a billionaire now. But she felt passionate about what she created in that art, and it became successful. Magellan, they were creators of the original GPS that is in our cars now. 86 times the founder got rejected, saying, no, this is a dumb idea. 87th one, that's a lot of rejections, said yes. So negotiation and perception. Always negotiate from a position of strength. If you need something from the other guy, you've already lost. People want what they can't have. Become the thing people want. Perception is reality. What they see is more important than what is. Should show them what they want to see and feel what they want to hear. Believe in yourself and sell the dream. No product is perfect. No uh, sales pitch is perfect. But opportunity is. I'll give you an example of that. When Google was only 20 employees, uh, there was a bigger company called Netscape. It was the darling of the valley. Uh, it was much bigger than Google. And a year into it, 
they landed the Netscape account where all the traffic for Netscape.com would get routed to the Google servers. Uh, they got so much traffic that they shut down. They had to shut down. I mean, and, and people were getting redirects and Larry Page was freaking out and they didn't know what to do. But it's that same pivotal point, right? I got shut down when I was 16 and I realized I gotta figure this out. That is my pivotal point. That was theirs. They took opportunity and they embraced risk and now they obviously created a very successful company out of it. Thick skin, grow a thick skin, a very, very thick skin. People will question your ability to succeed. And the loudest among them might make you doubt your own abilities. So you'll need a thick skin to drown out the noise, the silence will help you focus on your objectives and you will prevail. Uh, in my second company, I had a very interesting board member. Uh, interesting enough where he actually said in one of the board meetings, gee, I think you know the company is actually growing faster than you are. And here I was, knocking out of the park every month, every so many times we met. But he actually just did not have faith in me. So I could have retaliated, I could have cried, I could have said something negative, or I could have just said that, you know what, so long as I perform and I keep performing, there's nothing he can do. And he's not gonna have his way. And that's what I kept doing, is I focused on the objective and I did prevail. Here's my final thoughts. Take the advice of the late great comedian, Jimmy Durante. Be nice to the people on the way up, because you will probably meet them on the way down. Do the work. Keep your eye on the tiger, fight like hell, defy the odds, it's worth it, and never compromise your morals. Steve Jobs said it best, stay hungry, stay foolish. And to me, what that means is never forget where you came from and never forget where you want to go. Thank you. You know, a lot of people would look at someone as successful as um, Grubach and basically say, he's been a lucky guy. I see no luck in this. I see no chance in this. This has been hard work, passion, drive, tenacity, faith, perseverance, all sorts of things that have made this man who he is, who he is today. Um, can I now turn over to the floor and take questions? Um, can you please all wait for the roving mic? Um, and let's just... Get to you. Over there. Could you please say who you are and your affiliation and then ask a question, please? Yeah, hi. Um, can you hear me? Um, my name is Osman. I'm an economics master's student here at LSE. Um, I've got three questions, if that's okay. They were quite short. Um, yeah, really? Yeah. Um, you talked a lot about the kind of framework and the ideas you went through to. Uh, kind of map where you started off, but I just wanted to get inside your head and understand what exactly was your dream at 16? What, what vision did you have for yourself and what vision did you have for your success? That's, that's the first question. The second question is, is that if money isn't necessarily a driver for success, um, how did you, you know, why did you manage to sell companies so quickly and at the same time detach yourself from the emotion of building up a startup and when you have all that passion and drive and commitment that you, you've obviously demonstrated and the final question is more kind of a policy related question um, what, what do you think makes the U UK versus the US different in terms of uh, entrepreneurs and startups so first question what was my dream 
my dream was I wanted to be successful and I wanted to contribute success to my family early on. We were going through a tough time. And I tried a hell of a lot of shortcuts. So there's a chapter in my book that talks about all the different things that I thought that would be the get rich quick scene. And uh, until I got into some trouble, I realized that, okay, it's not going to be that way. And I promised myself that I was never going to do something that was going to fall in that criteria of uh, get rich quick. Second thing, uh, in terms of, what was it again? Money. Money versus success. What drives you? See, the thing is people look at it and say 18 months is uh, quick. Three and a half years is quick. Uh, but those opportunities came to me, right? It's not like I had a for sale sign. And sometimes when you're in it for the long haul, you're in it for the right reasons, and you're in it for the right motives, those opportunities happen. I mean, look at Instagram. A year and a half later, a billion dollars and no revenue, right? I mean, you could say that's a lot more luck, right? That, or they got lucky. But I'm sure there's a lot of journey and sweat and hard work attributed to that. But you can't look at the headlines. So do not look at the headlines and judge a book by its cover because of, of the headlines it shows you. There's, there's a story of pain and sorrow and, and a journey that, that we all go through. And time sometimes works uh, quicker uh, and faster if uh, just depending on the business you're in. And the last thing about US and UK. I think you know, we live in a world now where everything is global and everything is interconnected. And the ideas and dreams and the visions and goals that an American could have, you can have them today as a British citizen in, in the UK. Uh, there's success stories that point to that, the amount of success you can have, especially in my sector, the internet sector. Uh, I was even on a panel a few months, uh, a month ago, where we talked about the difference between uh, the American dream and the Indian dream. So I mean, if you were in India, uh, what would it be like? And I, I still stand by it, is that you can now be in any part of the world that uh, gives you a chance and you can be successful in it. You just need to go to put in the hard work. Sometimes people use geography as an excuse, but that comes down to fear, not reality. I think Gobak should just add to that and say basically in the UK, um, I think we really need to learn to embrace failure. It's just something that kills you down dead. Um, whereas in the US, I think you guys take risk and you embrace uh, failure very well. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I just define failure differently. Failure to some people is I tried it, I give up. Mm. Failure is saying I tried it, it failed, but I did not give up, and I'm trying it again. That's the difference. Okay, next question. Let's come over here. Hi, IG. My name's Gaurav. I own my own business. How I have people I look up to in my family that motivate me and get me to where I need to get to. In the business world, I look up to you. Who do you look up to in the business world? And do you, do you still go about looking up to people to get to where you get to, or you just focus on yourself now? See, it's uh, a good question. I don't believe in role models. When it comes to, uh, if I want to be a doctor, I have to look up to a doctor. If I want to be a business person, I have to uh, look up to a business person. To me, my inspirational role model was my grandmother, and that's the person that did not go to even elementary school. So sometimes you just need someone that gives you that love, gives you that passion, I want you to see you successful. And that motivates you to not want to go ahead and be failed because you don't want to fail in front of their eyes. Thank you. I just want to say you've done a brilliant job. You're representing for all Asians, and that's one thing that really matters. <laughs> Thank you. I think I read that his grandmother always said to him, don't worry, things will be better tomorrow.
something like that. Who's next? Hi, my name is Sabrina and uh, I'm developing my business whilst I'm working full time. Uh, the question I have is, before you experienced success, what was the major inner block that you had to overcome, if that Fear. makes sense? Fear. Fear is the obvious thing that we have to overcome, and that's to whatever you want to go ahead and accept it. The, the secret is, the earlier you learn it, the better you are in life. And, and, and you, it's never too late, but it's never too late to learn how to, uh, to, learn how to uh, uh, you know, negate fear. But uh, it's just a, it's that same example, like, I didn't learn how to swim when I was young. Now it's super hard for me to learn, right? Because the older you get, you think, oh my God, I'm gonna drown, right? The same ideas of success in business and career and the big decisions you make in life are attributed to fear, and you can't have that mental block. How did I overcome it? Uh, stubbornness, so you gotta be stubborn. If you're passionate about something, it's easy. Um, and you, you just have to go ahead and have the right attitude. And if you surround yourself around people, that's your right support center, family, friends, so forth, uh, they guide you along the way because it's, it's always a rocky road. Can you go to the back over there? Hi, uh, you said, sorry, my name's Amy Jones, um, I'm thinking about uh, different business ideas. Uh, you said you're not a programmer, so I was wondering how you start, um, how you develop a company without the programmers taking it over, because as you said, the idea is not necessarily, doesn't have to be revolutionary, you can't necessarily own the idea, um, so how do you develop it without the programmers uh, stealing your, your intellectual property? So the question was, if I'm not a programmer, what, again? I mean, how do you, how do you develop your business? Um, I mean, if you have an idea, I mean, anybody can have an idea, right? And it's not necessarily revolutionary. How do you develop the, your business without um, other people kind of taking it in a different direction without you? That's, that's a risk that you kind of learn uh, to accept. Like, bad stuff happens. You're never gonna be able to avoid that. Uh, but if you go with the theme early on and you surround yourself around people with the right intentions that have uh, the, the need to be successful with you, uh, then less of those chances happen. So uh, you don't need to program. I mean, how many CEOs do you know that program uh, and still program uh, as part of the largest technology companies? I mean, I, I, I can't name any. Zuckerberg doesn't program anymore. Bill Gates gave up a year into it. Right? And you would think that those guys actually had an actual background. Look at Steve Jobs, he wasn't a programmer. Right? And that's what it comes down to is creativity. If you have creativity and you can build relationships and you can surround yourself around people that actually want to be successful, that's, that's the formula that connects everything. Over there. Hi, my name is Nicholas. I'm a grad student here at LSE. Uh, you mentioned that you know life isn't about winning a lottery, but you know everybody would like to win the lottery. If you look at startups, you know only ten percent 
really make it anywhere over some period of time. So what advice would you give to, let's say, graduating students when they consider doing something entrepreneurial or perhaps going in a more conventional path? So, you know, what qualities do you think they need in order to take that risk that only one in 10 times, you know, it's going to work out? I would actually say in America, the odds are even more than that. So success is probably in the single digits, very, very low single digits. And uh, I mean, but you got to look at it. Not every person's basically in it for the right reasons. Not many people pick the right product at the right time. Uh, so there's a lot of other ancillary things that define maybe the fact that they weren't successful. And there's never a right time. There's never a right time. Uh, the only time is when you feel it's right and you're able to engage everything into it. I think one common mistake people make is, uh, I have a job, I have a great idea, I'm gonna spend 50% of my job and 50% of this idea. So if, you're, if your business is 50% successful, are you gonna be happy? The answer is no. So you have to realize, you have to go through pain, you have to go through that sorrow, you have to give up, you have to sacrifice, and when you give it your 100%, the odds swiftly turn in your, turn in your favor. Super. <clears throat> um, you said a bunch of things about uh, the first 20 employees. Uh, I was wondering if you had any anecdotes or specific criteria or examples of, of uh, other than that very first incident of, of kind of early warning signs and employees that you realized just weren't up to it and kind of how you dealt with that in terms of actually making this team uh, that's so critical to future success. So you're asking other examples of dead weight? <laughs> More if you had other times when you made the wrong decision initially and then how you backed out of that um, or how you spotted whether other employees were not up to the task and, and kind of how you dealt with that. So the quickest way is recognizing when you've made a mistake and when it comes to human capital, you gotta realize that early on. So uh, if the question is, have we faced that at lithium? Yes. I mean, one just great example even reading one is that our, our, our first salespeople that we hired, we look back three years from now and say, oh my God, we actually hired her and hired that person. And why didn't we fire them two weeks into it rather than three weeks into it or a month into it, right? Uh, so there's always going to be decisions. The, the, the thing that I think people make a mistake of is they linger it on, right? And sometimes the most difficult part is if you're related to someone, if you're their friend, right? So you almost sever two relationships in one uh, at that time, and, and that's always a dangerous slippery slope. But when it's just another person, uh, you know, business is not for nice guys. Right, and business is not a charity, and you got to remind yourself that when you when you make that decision. And like I said, we've made decisions where we've hired and fired the person the same day, and that's not mean. That's just business. Hi, uh, my name is David Tuck. Um, I'm the FD at Wayne.com, um, the travel-based social network. You're actually a customer of ours, um, yeah. Radio One. Are you giving us money, or are we giving you money? Uh, you're giving us money. You've actually got an invoice outstanding at the moment, but I'll, uh, <laughs> I, I heat up for the cash afterwards. Uh, <laughs> um, my question is actually the um, the sort of flip side of the coin um, from the one that just preceded. Um, as someone who's, who's interviewing tomorrow, I just wondered. You talked a lot about rock stars. 
Um, so when you're interviewing, you know, when you're looking for a rock star, what, what are the characteristics that you know, you know, that you look for that tell you, I've found one? So when I was 16, I, I actually Googled, or Google wasn't around then, but whatever, went on a search engine and I typed in top 100 interview questions. So I went through that process and that's all BS. I mean, you know, those things don't define anything. What, when, you've, when you do it for so long, what you really realize is that instinct, tells you everything. Instinct tells you why they're there, what, what they want out of it, if they're gonna be successful with you, if their intentions are right, what their work ethic is gonna be like. If you kind of look at that slide where I analyze every single thing that's the phrenology of an entrepreneur, that's what you have to see if they have that or if they don't. And I can, I guess, having done it thousands of times now, uh, can easily find out in a, in a room. I'm, I, I'm wrong less of the time now, but. Uh, I can easily find out if they're, they're the right people or not. So good luck tomorrow. Hey, how's it going? My name is Bukas. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, I run a few investment businesses. First of all, thank you for your time. Uh, pleasure speaking to you. My mind's kind of a two-part question. Uh, one from personal experience, the other kind of what your idea is. Um, you've talked us through a lot of milestones that you've been through through your life uh, from a young age. Have you ever experienced a slump during those milestones and how did you motivate yourself and push, push through it to get to the next stage? And the second thing is uh, I realized at an early age that success comes from a daily habitual pattern or daily motivation. What motivates you on a daily basis and or what is your vision now going forward? You've talked a lot about the past and present, but what is it that drives you now moving forward? So, slumps, I mean, biggest slump at 16, right? You get shut down for a week and you gotta figure out every decision you make here on is gonna be between life and death as an entrepreneur. At Blue Lithium, <coughs> I think uh, we got sued almost every week by my former company just because they just had this angst of not wanting to see us successful. So we had to deal with a bigger company with a lot more cash suing us and uh, a lot of that drama, it's actually in my book. And at rating one, there's, there's not a day without drama, but you're gonna have to wait for the next book for that. But uh, the short answer is that there's drama all the time. Uh, you're gonna have, for every great day, a lot of miserable ones. But when that great day happens, celebrate it. Give yourself a high five. Give yourself the person that actually told you the good news a high five. And embrace those moments, but quickly move on to the next thing so the next great day can happen. And uh, your second question was? How do you motivate yourself now? What's your vision? I am as hungry and as motivated as I ever was. I think that every single time I've had success, the people I've encountered have basically questioned, what the heck is he doing this for? Uh, because for them, their goal is to hit a certain amount of dollars and I guess sip a margarita on the beach. But I can do that for about two days. But uh, to do that for the rest of my life is, is not challenging. And I think that when you got that ambition, you got that discipline, but most importantly, when you've nailed purpose and you realize that what's your purpose in life and what defines that purpose, that's the only motivation. Hi, my name is Shruti and I'm a corporate lawyer. Um, my question to you is, you today started a campaign called uh, Be Proud, uh, but on the other hand, um, you've 
you did stop wearing a turban to kind of blend in with the environment you were working in. So uh, in the business world, where would you draw the line between re retaining your identity and, and adapting to the environment around you? So that's actually in my book. Uh, I mean, I get that a lot. I mean, I get, I get uh, you have no idea every wedding I go to as Indian or every time I go to the temple with my parents, uh, somebody recognizes me and says, oh my God, you're that dude from Oprah. Now that you're successful, can you wear a turban? Right? Which is basically almost saying that all you really need to do in life is to cut your hair and you'll be successful. Right? Which doesn't work that way. And I think that, uh, I mean, I ignore that, but, 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 but what really drives is, is that what you are as an individual and what makes you proud. And who do you want to be? So the connection that maybe my parents had of keeping a turban, I didn't have that connection. Right? So very early on, I was kind of forced into that because I was, I was young and I needed to live in my parents' roof. But uh, once I was able to make the right decisions, I was able to realize, what do I want to be, right? How do I want to look like? Uh, and it's not in relationship to being successful, because as I said, looking a certain way didn't define my success, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's who you are. And, and frankly, Be Proud, the, the, the campaign that I've launched and will be officially launching on TV and, and social uh, in, next month, is really defined on trying to go after a deeper issue of heat and hate crimes uh, related to people wanting to go ahead and uh, do things to people because of appearance. Very different than the business world. First of all, it's an honor to meet you, and especially to see a guy who was so productive at the age of 16. My name is Anuj, and I'm an accountant and a tax advisor, and working on a startup. One of the problems which I'm facing is with the limited amount of money or no money, I meet rock stars, but they are so competitive that they are actually not willing to work. Or I find the rock stars who are actually not willing to work for a small amount of equity. So this is kind of not a problem which I am facing, but many of the startups are facing that the market is so competitive, they're not willing to work for a small amount, or they're not willing to work for their interest in my company. So, so what is... So rockstar is defined on what you define as a rockstar, meaning someone that has equity in the games, that's willing to put in the sweat, and that is around a set of parameters. If you can't afford them, that's a different story, right? Because that means that they may be rockstars, but just not at year one. Maybe at year two, you can achieve that. But if they're not wanting to work, I, I wouldn't call them rockstars, I call them lazy. Yeah. Uh, for example, if I see at my company, the thing which I'm looking for, the features they have, I call them rockstar. I got the word from your presentation. So I thought like, you know, those will be the very best people who can actually, uh, good people to work around and uh, execute because it's 1% is idea and 99% is the execution. So what do you recommend for the people who have limited money or no money and how to find those people who actually have very good skills, especially in a competitive market like this? this? Find a roster is defined on your parameters. And, and, and just think about it that way. And don't look at resume and don't look at credentials that drive that. Look for heart, look for passion, look for drive, and look for you know, reason. 
Sure. Could we please have just two more questions? Who's going to go? And one from here and one from over there. Hi, I'm Sonia Hunjan. Um, basically, I have a few questions. Um, I understand that you experienced a lot of negativity when you were younger, and obviously your grandma helped you out with that. But what do you think was the tip of the iceberg when you said, you know, I don't want to go to college anymore, I can't stand the bullying, like, I want to do my own thing? Like, what, what exactly happened? Like, what was your thought process, and how did you turn that so much negativity into positivity? That's well, it wasn't college. I didn't make it that far. Oh, yeah, high school, sorry. So it was high school. Uh, what, what, what was the point of, of uh, the tip of the iceberg is that, you know, there's this, if you just read the headlines, it looks like I dropped out of high school and then I decided to work on a business. That wasn't the case. I actually, while I was still in high school, started this business in my bedroom and it got to $100,000 and then I realized, okay, it's not legal, it's real, let me tell my parents, let's drop out. So there's actually like a, a formula to it that I was constrained to, uh, so it wasn't all that uh, all that easy. Okay, and um, I was wondering, like, how did your parents um, feel about you coming home and obviously making more money than they did, and you hiring your siblings? How do they feel about that? And so yeah, I'm hiring a sister. The family, you know. <laughs> and um, my final question is regarding the Be Proud Foundation. Um, what are your um, major goals for you know really launching that and what sure. are your objectives? I think uh, I mean inspired by the Coney movement I think that was a great social media campaign I think that uh, the, the the main thing that we're trying to do is create an audience um, and create awareness around a topic of, of realizing that you know if, if I faced hate and racism when I was 16 and being bullied and all that stuff I didn't think at 30 I'd feel it at a point where people are getting killed for it. And I, I also think that social media, while we are going to do this on TV as well, the uh, media doesn't do justice. Media wants to uh, let people hear that sells. And there's like a lot of incidents that happen in America that you now find out through either Twitter or Huffington Post or Facebook, uh, but you don't really find out through a major organization. So if we can go ahead and create an audience and create a message and create a theme and provide people easy ways that they can go ahead and participate, uh, that's making a change, right? It may completely fail, but you know, I don't think, I mean, if you can even get a few people on board, I think that we've, we've been successful. If it's even a fraction the size of success that Coney had, uh, you know, that'd be a dream come true. Can I quickly ask, how did it feel like to meet Obama? <laughs> I felt very short. I saw the pictures as well. Very short, and Michelle Obama definitely shorter. <laughs> okay, okay one final question from that end. Who should we go in the middle at the end? Just there. Hi, uh, my name is Umi Ali, and I'm currently taking a year out to work for Disney Interactive Studios. My question for you is Are you looking to expand in the Middle East? I mean, how different you reckon the market is there compared to the West? Uh, the Middle East? What is the geography? The speed. Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't. I've never been there, so I can't really, can't really say anything. So, sorry. <laughs> okay, one last one from here. Fedra, yeah. 
Hi. Um, if you've got a business plan that you believe in and a product that you think can get somewhere, how do you get yourself in front of the right investor if you feel that you really need that investor? Uh, Especially when you're young and you don't yet have the connections. You borrow and steal from your friends and family to get enough capital to uh, uh, get you somewhere so you can actually do it yourself and show some traction. Uh, a business plan is, I've never, I mean, the odds of writing a business plan and getting funded are probably in the 0.00001% range. Especially in a climate where things change so quick and so fast. And you remember the days of the the Darwinism theory of, of change and evolution. So you're, you're not going to get that through just a business plan these days. So if you say, turn down the investor, if you can do it on your own? If you can get money, never walk away from money. That's right? money yeah. But know if you want it for the right reasons. Because sometimes getting the wrong money could kill your idea. Well, from everything we've heard, um, basically, no one has a monopoly on dreams. Everyone's allowed to dream. And I think the Indian takeaway from here is, if he can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen.